Well, hey, everyone. Here we are for this week's episode of The Boundless Show, and I am Lisa Anderson. You've seen me here for a while because, hello, this week we're in our 800th and one or 800th and first episode. Hard to believe, but as I often like to do, a little preview of what is coming up on the show. Well, later for our inbox, we have a listener who is struggling in their first job after graduating from college. How can they actually get their career jump-started when it's kind of struggling to take off? So HR expert Marshonda Dixon is going to weigh in on this with some practical help for kind of getting some momentum uh, in this first career move. And then for our culture segment... Well, we all need help with trusting God's timing, and Lori Polich Short is a friend of Boundless. You probably remember her from way back in the day when she told her story of getting married for the first time at 49 years old and how God led her to that point in time. Well, she has uh, more amazing stories about trusting God's timing in a number of different areas of life, so you're going to want to listen to that. All right, here we are for our round table. And just as a heads up to you, we have a group of ladies at the table today because we're going to be talking about things that women need in friendship. But next week, we never love to leave you guys out, guys, 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 um, out. And so we'll be talking to the guys. <laughs> do you have like, do you, um, I'm talking to my round table people here. Let me introduce them first. We have got Georgia, Sarah, and Kristen. Hey, ladies. Hey. All right. Good to have you. Do you ever have like people when you say guys and they're like, I'm not a guy, you know, and people get really offended about it. Yeah. But yeah. In the college weird. that I went to, it was a really big thing. Okay. <laughs> to just uh, celebrate femininity. Yeah, they were okay. just like they were like you all, and I was like, sorry. Oh, okay. Obviously. Okay. Well, Clearly. my bad. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You guy ladies, um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about this today. So the whole idea of friendship. And so, but I want all that to say this train wreck of an intro that's currently happening. The men are going to be here next week to talk about their uniquenesses around friendship. So stay tuned for that. I want you to know that this is a two-parter. So that's good to know. All right, ladies, let's get back to the topic at hand, friendship. I want to start out by asking, basically, let's first get the lay of the land. Making friends for you. Is it easy? Is it hard? Do you, would you say you're a good friend maker, friend beer, or are you more, do you ride on the surface with a lot of people? Do you go deep with a few? What's your current status? Sarah is brand new to the round table here, so I'm going to make her go first. <laughs> yeah, right. that works. Yeah. I would say growing up, I was more shy, um, but over the years and going to high school and college, I've gotten out of my shell and I feel like it's easier to make friends just because I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And I know what it's like feeling left out, like in a friend group. And whenever I meet people, I try to make them feel welcomed. Okay. Do you have friends like from a long, long time ago, or do you kind of make friends for seasons? I have both. Oh, okay. I have friends from high school I still talk to and then I have friends from work and just other seasons but I still try to connect with them from time to time okay shockingly I still have friends from high school which, That's awesome. I mean that is almost entirely because of social media because mm -hmm. we're not most of us don't live near one another anymore but it's kind of that awkward like you know need to comment on what's going on because <laughs> I just saw it you know yeah, so yeah. But yeah, but even a couple real, real friends from back in the day, it's fun yeah. to keep up with them. Okay, Georgia, how about you? What's your friend profile? I would say I think I'm pretty good at making friends, although 
with the caveat that if I'm going into a new situation, I always like to have an exit buddy mm. who is kind of the, you know, like we're each other's wing person mm-hmm. and we help facilitate new friendships. So, yeah, but I feel like I'm good at making new friends and I enjoy meeting new people. So. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kristen? I think I can be good at it if I'm in a right circumstance, but I'm kind of the opposite of Georgia. I'm much more eager and outgoing if I don't already know somebody there because then I know it's all riding on my shoulders but if I know somebody else who's there I'll just stick with them in the corner or expect them to introduce me to all the people that they already know so okay yeah it's interesting you know it it's also very interesting and I've said this several times even when I've been out and about speaking at colleges or elsewhere one of the most oft questions that we get here at Boundless is how do I make friends? Mm. And kind of with that, how do I go deeper in friendship? Mm. And, you know, just kind of like, what does it mean to be a true friend? And not just the surfacey stuff, not just the, well, now you irritated me, so I need to dump you and find other people, you know, but to really dig deep and really find those people that will go the distance and kind of be those trusted friends. So in light of that, I mean, and kind of just thinking of that, if if you were to paint a picture of like your ideal friendship, what are some of the hallmarks of like an iconic friendship? I mean, I think of like, have any of y'all seen or read like Anne of Green Gables and oh, yeah, Diana yeah. Yeah, and all oh, yeah. that, you know, a the bosom, bosom friend. <laughs> okay. Um, but what would you say? What are some of the, the, qualities or characteristics of a true friendship? I think someone who's really loyal, um, especially if it's going to be a long friendship. Um, Loyalty and then um, welcoming. So if they already have a circle Mm. to bring you in or if they're going to try something new to invite you into that, I think those are two things that are really helpful in a friendship. And through those shared experiences and the deeper conversations, because the trust exists already, those come naturally. I think those those are two things that really help facilitate deep, good connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I would also say support, being supportive of each other um, in good times and hard times. And also having like a connection where um, you're like continually making an effort to get to know one another and spend time with each other where it's not one-sided. You're the one that's always trying to plan things to hang out or Mm -hmm. they're also like trying to connect with you and just trying to grow deeper on a level. Mm -hmm. Or where you don't end up being the other person's psychotherapist like (laughs) all the time. Like I've definitely been in that scenario as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think a friend that is safe and real, one safe that you can go and talk to them about anything, emotionally safe, um, and then also real as in they're going to be real with you. I think if you have a friend who isn't willing to call you out, then mm-hmm. they're not a real friend. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's funny. I was going to say that, say the flip side of your first comment that, you know, I would recognize a truth teller as one of those people because it is mm-hmm. really hard to find friends who are willing to go there and risk, you know, elements of a friendship or risk being disliked or being rebuffed or whatever mm-hmm. in light of that. So I think those are some great um great concepts. What would you say, you know, when people think of women and friends, and again, here we are with 
Anne of Green Gables and her bosom friend, Diana. <laughs> I, I think there are so many stereotypes around friendship, you know, like friendship bracelets and friendship, you know, whatever, and those little necklaces that have mm-hmm. the halvesies of whatever. Oh, yeah. I never uh-huh. had one of Besties. those. I felt so yeah. left out. Never BFF. did either. Yeah. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about female friendships in particular? What would you say? Some, you know, maybe some of the stereotypes or weird things that people think of when they think of women being friends? I think people just think we sit around and gossip and I'm not saying that (laughs) That we we don't don't. (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately because we're sinners I do think sometimes we do do that or I think in Christian circles that the only thing we talk about is getting a husband Mm -hmm. or being not content in our singleness Mm -hmm. and that that's the only thing that occupies our mind yeah Yeah. I'm like you guys we don't talk about it that much (laughs) we have hobbies Uh and personalities (laughs) okay yeah good one good yeah I would say that like girl friendships you think of like Hollywood movies like they're all perfect and they all are like available always hanging out like everyone's there for each other all the time and kind of just knowing that even though like we're friends like we're all human like there's times where they might be busy and not be able to hang out as much or be around as much. Um, and kind of just knowing like, yeah, you guys are friends, but sometimes like you guys might have like different seasons where it might be rocky or like you're not as close anymore mm-hmm. and just like getting used to that. And yeah. Yeah. There, it seems like they're always doing like either really amazing or really intense things together. Like I, you know, how many movies have women like venting to each other in like a hot yoga class? I mean, I've seen a lot so of those. Many. 27 <laughs> so, dresses. Or running. Yeah. Or they're running like, yeah. you know, 12 miles on a Saturday morning and having a Not full even conversation. Not remotely out of breath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it is kind of funny how it, it always seems so un- unattainable, whatever mm-hmm. level they're getting to with what yeah. they're doing. Or they're always chatting at a bar, mm-hmm. which I'm like, yeah. I never yeah. do that. <laughs> like, it's too loud. What are you doing? Yeah. And expensive. Yeah. And expensive. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm not going not to do that. So, yeah. Kristen, anything to add? Yeah, I think there's two. One, um, that we're super insecure all the time. I think friendships can be really inhibited by insecurity, but we're able to have really good friendships because we're not perpetually thinking, oh my gosh, does she actually hate me? And there are some contexts where those thoughts might be going through your mind, Mm -hmm. but then kind of connected to that, we're not always catty and dramatic Mm -hmm. and mean to Mm -hmm. one another. I think that's It is regular enough, unfortunately, that I understand why it's a stereotype, but there are a lot of friendships that exist that are healthy and that that's not the focal point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, a misconception I thought of, um, which actually plays into the whole like dating misconceptions too, it seems, is this idea that you know, once you meet this kindred spirit, it's just going to like, you're going to have this connection and you're, it's going to be amazing. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you're going to be creating memories and stuff. And I have a friend who tells me, in fact, she's one of my closest friends who will often remind me of how she feels like God just called her to be my friend. (laughs) Which makes me feel a little projecty. I'm kind of like, sorry, God had to tell you to step into my life. That's really unfortunate. That's but rough. but it is really funny how there is a certain amount of effort you have to put in. I mean, Sarah alluded to this. Of you got to be a friend, and it's got to be a two way street, and you've got to make accommodations. And sometimes a friend is walking through a hard season, and you got to sit there and listen and see how you're going to support them and and walk them through and stuff. And so, yeah, sometimes it requires a lot of intention in that space, I think. So, yeah, that's really good. Talk a little bit about some of the unique challenges you personally have had in friendship. What are some friendships that maybe 
went off track or ended and you didn't think they should end or maybe you're trying to end a friendship right now and you're it's not happening so what what are some of the challenges how have you navigated those well i'll start just because Kristen is one of the friends that we had challenges Rough. in high school. We've been friends for 10 years now. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so we've been, been friends fun. for a while. And I think I think it was difficult because we both were very big personalities mm-hmm. in a small group yeah. of, of girls at church. And I think when you're in high school, there's this internal battle of like who's the leader and it's Mm -hmm. it's so silly now looking back on it but um yeah we just didn't get along and when we did get along I remember specific moments where we got along and I was like wait she's great Mm -hmm. and then a week later (laughs) I'd be like why is she always doing this (laughs) and I just remember and she can say her side but long story short we went on a missions trip together we got called out by a mentor who was Mm -hmm. like y'all are this is inappropriate y'all are acting you know, fools. like fools. And we finally had a talk about it. And we were just like, well, this is how I feel. And she was like, well, this is how I feel. And then we were like, wait, we feel the same way. <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. And yep. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that was, you know, difficult navigating our personality styles. But mm-hmm. then once we had the talk, again, I think that's why it's important to have real friends who will talk real to you. Because now that we've had that conversation, I mean, really overcome a really big obstacle. I'm like, I know that at any point, if I have a struggle with her or if she has a struggle with me, that I can be honest and real and it's not going to break our relationship. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. just going to make it more strong. Not at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a really interesting dynamic. We actually (laughs) recently saw one of the other ladies, one of the other leaders that was on that trip. We saw her at a conference last year and she was shocked that we were friends. So we're like, (laughs) oh gosh, were we really that bad? Like we don't remember. Anyways. um, You had to be called out by someone (laughs) on the trip itself when they had other things to do. So clearly something was bad. It was bad. Anyways, but I think um, communication style that's just always the biggest hurdle and that really played out with with Georgia and I um in lots of different ways but um the Lord clearly can work beyond that and through it which is really great because now lifelong friend so I'm very grateful for that um but communication it's hard everybody has different tones and intonations and all sorts of tells that you have to learn and that's that can be quite the journey so Mm -hmm. wow Okay, Sarah, have you ever had a friendship with someone at this table that ended up having to get called out by a, by a leader on a missions trip? I haven't had that okay. before. Okay, so why don't you just tell us about some friendship challenges maybe that you have had in the past? Yeah, I remember when I was in high school, I had a group of friends who were really gossipy and would talk down to me all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of thought like, oh, this is normal. But then like making other friends, like I realized, oh, like this isn't healthy. (laughs) And I like later on left that group and became friends of a different group. But I feel like through that experience, it's helped me learn like what's healthy in a friendship and what's not healthy in a friendship. And just having standards, like if somebody, if, if a friend like is always rude or gossipy or talking down to me I know like that's not the type of person I want to be around and having mm-hmm. people in my life that lift, lift me up 
um, and just encourages me and bring me closer to Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Kind of continuing on that theme, I mean, because we've talked about the negative, what, what really, I mean, what are some examples of where a friend has really shown up for you in a very practical way, like where you would say, oh my goodness, I saw amazing colors in them spiritually, you know, um, character wise, whatever, where you're just like, this is something to aspire to. I remember one time, like an undergrad, I sprained my right hand and it's like my writing hand. (laughs) And so it's hard for me to do things like write or like drive. I couldn't drive or even like tie my shoe. It was hard. And one of my friends in college, um, her name was Heather. She was really kind because she has such a servant heart because I remember one time she like tied my shoes for me and it was real <laughs> embarrassing for me. Um, and, I, and like somebody walked by, I'm like, this isn't like what it looks like. It's not like a normal thing. Mm-hmm. But like she was just so kind and she would like pray for me and just follow up. And like she would take notes for me in class. And, um, mm-hmm. and it was just really wow. sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think when I was at camp, I that was when I discovered I had OCD and I remember there was one day it was the first day of camp ever opening day all the kids were coming in and I just was so anxious and I just couldn't participate and I remember there was a camp friend that I'm still friends with who sat with me in the cabin as I just cried because I was like so overcome with anxiety and she missed out on opening day for me which is you know pretty big because opening day is supposed to be this really fun thing but it was just really overwhelming for me and she just sat and read scripture over me as I cried which was looking back was kind of dramatic and (laughs) but that's how it was and it was really hard but she stuck it through with me and um, just prayed over me and and just sat there with me and that was all I needed really yeah I'm trying to think of one specific moment I just the Lord has been so gracious to me and the friendships that he's given me I It's incredible, but I guess one instance in college, my roommate and I were both just brokenhearted over the same friend, Um, just the decisions that they were making, and we knew that it wasn't in line with um, God, but they were still claiming to be a believer, and we, I mean, it was just really hard for both of us. It was like 1.30 in the morning. We should have been asleep, but we both just sat there and, like, cried for this person and prayed for them, and it was really cool, and that friend we did a lot of life together and so it was really easy to have these kind of quote-unquote spiritual moments with her and know that we could do that for one another too I don't know it was a Mm -hmm. really interesting it was a very interesting moment just seeing her heart for people who weren't loving God the way that he's called us to and um, who were being deceived. It was just a really interesting moment. I don't know yeah. if that answers the question. No, that's, that's cool. It, it reminds me, kind of getting back to what someone said at the very beginning of the segment about being welcomed and being that person who's an inviter. One of my biggest moments was a um, right out of college. I was at an event with a um, kind of a friend of mine, but then she had been brought by a friend who was kind of just an acquaintance of mine. And so I was definitely like the third wheel. Mm -hmm. And 
someone came up who they both knew and whatnot. And I just remember um, them, the one girl who I didn't know very well introducing me. And she said to the other person, she said, well, here's um, my friend Liz. She's one of my best friends and has been for a long time. And this is Lisa. She's one of my other best friends. And I just remember her saying that and feeling like this is not even true. It's not even remotely (laughs) true. But it was just, but that person didn't know that. That person didn't care. And it just Mm -hmm. made me feel like I had been intentional invited into the circle mm-hmm. and just her saying that you know yeah. and just very sweet to be that person that was like hey you're a great person I don't know you that well yet but I I think you seem really great and you know mm-hmm. maybe a, a friendship well and we did become closer friends later on so I thought that was really mm-hmm. really neat all right well to that point let's talk briefly about like friendships that are kind of going sour because of either they're becoming one-sided the person's a taker the um, maybe someone is just I've been in this boat of just all of a sudden you're walking through life and you realize maybe this person isn't kind of pursuing Christ as much as they were for a season and stuff and now you're kind of drifting apart and you don't have many commonalities with goals and values and spiritual stuff what do you do in that space I've had the benefit of moving a lot hmm. so I feel like <laughs> <laughs> that is a very easy answer but okay sorry leave meaning no. okay so I've had the benefit of moving a lot which means that time typically tells if those friendships are good or bad. Um, And I distinctly remember after I moved to college, I would come back home and try to hang out with this one friend and she flaked on me every time. And my mom was finally like, Kristen, why do you keep trying to hang out with her? She always makes plans and then always cancels last minute. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I love her. So it's worth it to me. And um, that was one that was a little bit more of a rough ending, but it made sense. Different contexts. She had gotten married. We were going to school in different states. It made sense that our connections weren't really that deep and that great. And so now I just have learned when I go home, she's not my top priority. Mm -hmm. So I feel like moving a lot helps reveal that without there having to be a ton of pain associated or hurt it's just like oh i left which is why we're not really friends Mm -hmm. so interesting okay i always think of dr daniel huerta and he says are you a consumer or are you a contributor and honestly i think looking back on past relationships that was what my mom always said was like are they a giver or a taker and if someone is just taking from you and is kind of using you um, because they know your personality and they know how you are, then that's when you kind of take a step back. And so I think there are some relationships where it's worth having a conversation and speaking to them about it and saying, hey, have you noticed that this is how you treat me or that you're always taking from me, but you know, I don't really get anything or receive anything from re- in return. And then that's a chance for them to change. And or um, I think it just is case by case and or you just kind of um, take a step back and slowly release it by not always asking that person to hang out or, you know, you know, texting them less. And I don't think it means like ghosting them. I just think it's like mm-hmm. you can be cordial, you can be kind, but that doesn't mean they have to be your main person anymore. Mm-hmm. And even to that point, setting up boundaries, even in conversation with them. I had a friend in college who would ask me to drive her to the liquor store. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that anymore because 
your husband's an alcoholic and I don't want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And so then she stopped asking because she knew. And Mm -hmm. if she needed to go do laundry or needed to go grocery shopping, I would take her to that. And she Mm -hmm. knew that. But it was just this boundary that I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. And and it was definitely more of a one-sided relationship um, just because of all of the context. But I think you can have those conversations with friends like... Mm -hmm. I'm not willing to do this for you anymore. And I still want to be your friend and I still want to be in your life. Don't hear me say I don't want to do anything, but this is one boundary I have to set up for the health of this relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. So final question. I'm going to start with um, Sarah on this one. Because we're going to talk to the guys next week, give me your, what you see as the biggest difference between the ways that women and men do friendship. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I feel like men... I feel like they're more casual and fun the way I see their friendships where they like joke around or they tease each other easily. And it's like easy for them to like get along and make friends for girls. I notice sometimes like it may be harder, like sometimes they might be kind of clicky or like sometimes some of them might it might be harder for them to open up or if there is a group like trying to fit in the group. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. We'll see if all this is true uh, next week. But I just feel like girl dynamics can be interesting, even though we just said, like, we're not catty and we don't gossip. <laughs> but I just think women, we're very intricate beings. And I think sometimes, yeah, it just feels harder to um, create those really in-depth friendships um, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there can be a lot of um, overthinking on Mm -hmm. both parties. I can't tell you the number of friends that I've made. I'm like, oh, when I first met you, I was scared or intimidated or I thought you were too cool for me. Mm -hmm. And it's just dumb because they're like, I thought the same thing. Anyways, (laughs) and so just silly things like that. And another difference that I have found is that guys will have a really deep conversation while like playing Xbox and girls are like, I have to have a deep conversation with you. So are you free Tuesday at two for a walk or a drive or a coffee? <laughs> like we have to set the stage for whatever conversation we feel like we need to have. So that's just another interesting distinction. Yeah, that's perhaps. good. Well, good thoughts, you guys. Thanks so much for weighing in. This was fun. Yeah, Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. Stay tuned, fun. everyone, for next week for the guys. Your love is so deep. Your love is so wide. It stretches so far and reaches so high. Oh, this love you have for me In all of my fear, in all of my doubt Your love is enough, it never runs out Oh, this love that makes me sing There is nothing
All right, folks, we are welcoming a friend of the Boundless Show back here. We have got Lori Pollitt Short, and many of you still talk about that very first time I had Lori on the show. I feel like I at least think about this every time. I have Lori on the show, but maybe I've mentioned it as well. Um, she talked long ago now. Man, it must have been um, Lori, by the way, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Lisa. It's great I, to be here. It's it's so good to have you. I'm just like talking on and on about you. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll actually just invite you in. Um, anyway, <laughs> she told her story of going through broken engagements and just a lot of questioning God and then getting married at the age of 49 um, to a great guy who she posts about on social, which is very endearing and fun to see (laughs) and their journey together. (laughs) Um, And so, you know her um, as Lori, but she's such a friend of, of Boundless and you know her story here and she just keeps learning things and talking about them. And so um, Lori, Mm. today we're actually going to talk about about a book that you wrote titled Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing. And the sub on that is 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. And so that's really great um, for us to kind of gain some wisdom in this. Um, For those of you who are new to the show or aren't familiar with Lori, she's, as I said, she's an author, she's a speaker. Um, She's been on The Boundless Show many times. Um, That original book that I was talking about is titled Finding Faith in the Dark. So definitely check that one out as well. Yeah, and she's on a pastoral staff at a church in Santa Barbara, California, which isn't too bad for God to direct you there, I guess. But, you know, (laughs) such such as it is. You become a renter for life, Lisa. That's the only downside. There is that. You have so much to share with our audience that can't get out of Mm. renting. See, there you go. Well, maybe we'll have to talk about that a little bit, too. Um, Well, I want to talk a little bit and just kind of kick off the conversation, because I think there's a lot in this book that is about perceived detours or maybe God leaving the journey altogether, or does God even care where I'm going Uh and what's happening to me? I would love, um, I would love for you to just kick it off by, if you look back, what is probably one of the most surprising God detours that he put in your life and what you now see out of it? Kind of like set the stage for us of why you particularly wrote this book, because I know you've had a lot to trust God for in your life. Absolutely. I figure you earn the right to have the title God's Mysterious Timing when you marry at 49 for the first time. There you go. And especially when you wear the dress that you bought for another guy. He was just the wrong guy. I had the right dress. So (laughs) anybody who can identify with the Broken Hearts Club, believe me, I'm your girl. But uh, just to know God's faithfulness after all of those years of wondering, and in particular, going through the broken engagement, which was already late in life. I was 42 when I got engaged and 43 when he broke it off to remarry his ex-wife, which Mm. I always say is a great story when you're not the girl dating the guy. But I would say probably the most significant detour in my life was it happened four months after my life fell apart. And I was speaking at the time and really felt like, God, where are you? And I learned so much about God during that time because I developed what I call the middle of the story theology. So often we think we're in at the end of the, our story when something breaks off or ends or tragedy strikes, but I was really in the middle. And when I shared my testimony during that time before I got married in my late 40s, it was powerful because 
I chose to hang on to God because I think so many people are in that space of holding on when they don't know what's going to happen. But four months later, after I'm back in the apartment, my shower gifts are in his garage. I don't even have the strength of heart to go get them. I was completely brokenhearted. My wedding dress was in my mom's closet. And, you know, she kept it for five years with a humidifier on it. It was her hope chest. But (laughs) I, you know, I'm in my apartment going, what in the world? And I got a call from a guy who had planted a church in Santa Barbara. He was an old friend of mine. He was a youth pastor at a church, and he planted a new church and said, you know, first, oh, I heard you got married. I'm like, nope. (laughs) And he goes, well, actually, that's not why I'm calling. I'm calling because we were praying about this new position at our church, and your name came up. And I always want to tell people that sometimes we are so focused on the door we want. And I I think for many people in your audience, it's marriage or a relationship. But we don't pay attention to the doors that are opening. And sometimes God opens a different door, and you need to pay attention to that, because one door can lead to another door that leads to another door that could actually lead to the door you want, but it's a different route. And one of the people in the book that I think illustrates this so beautifully is Ruth, because she really, she had lost her husband, her sister-in-law had lost her husband, her mother-in-law had lost her husband, and she made a choice to take care of her mother-in-law in spite of hearing that she would never find anyone to marry if she did that, and including the mother-in-law telling her that. And of course, we know, looking back, that Ruth's whole future was embedded in that choice. And so I think for me, that's such an encouragement to look at the detours or what appears to be a detour as God's direction for you. If it's happening, it's part of the story that He has for you. And I came up and fell in love with the church, and it it was three more years before I met Jerry, who became my husband. But you know, it was really that choice that set me up for the future that God had. Yeah. So what, um, I mean, obviously you were assuming that you were going to get married, and so you were just kind of at a standstill there. But what, when that door opened, what were you actually doing at the time? Because this is before you'd written books. This is before. Oh, I mean, yeah. What was your trajectory at that point as far as career-wise or just situation-wise? Yes. Well, chapter one of my speaking life and my uh, ministry life was as a youth pastor, as a youth director. Mm, And I was speaking to kids and youth workers and had a speaking career really focused on that, which is very different from my focus now. But I wasn't really looking for a job, Lisa. I had a job. I was teaching adjunct at Azusa Pacific. I was speaking quite a bit. But this opportunity came at such a weird time, you know, right after everything had fallen apart. And frankly, I was looking for a life. I did not want to go back to the apartment that I thought I was leaving to marry this guy. But there I was. And I feel like when we're in that situation, we really need to pay attention to what is opening, even if it's not what we're looking for. Because the job and the location and the change and everything about it was so God breathed for me in my story, even before I met Jerry, because it afforded me a new chapter 
when I thought everything was over. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you talk about and really threaded throughout the book is this idea of of being willing to wait and being willing to wait on God's Mm -hmm. timing in particular and trusting that um, because it's very easy for us in a world of... um, you know, online apps and leadership seminars, and we're supposed to just take our lives by the horns and chart our courses and all this kind of stuff. And that's very counterintuitive to sitting back and trusting God. But what speak a little bit to like specifically in the relationship space and even the desire for marriage. I think this is a a great example. What do you do? How do you balance trusting God with the reality Uh that time marches on? So there are things in your weight that you had to give up like childbearing like you know there there are a lot of women who are like lisa okay i can wait but what's god doing because there are plans that i have for a family or for you know dreams i want to have in in that i assume are going to happen in my 20s and 30s so kind of talk a little bit to that tension of the realities with still being open-handed with trust absolutely it's such a dance between making yourself available. Clearly, I didn't just sit on the couch and wait for the guy with the rose to show up. I mean, we participate in our life with God. But I think there are times when, just as you said, we feel a pressure that comes from our own desires. We always saw ourselves becoming a wife or a husband. We saw ourselves becoming a a biological parent We saw this for ourselves, and those desires are there for a reason. But the letting go comes in how God meets those desires. And if we trust Him, even if we have to let go of some of those desires, that this is part of the plan that He has for our life. And for me, it was a very long extended singleness where there are too many stories to even tell. That's why I've (laughs) written so many books. But... um, You know, I look back now as a married person and someone who got to raise a child who wasn't mine. What came out of that was a book called Grace-Filled Step Parenting and an incredible learning experience of what it's like to parent a child. That was never my dream. I never said, oh, Lord, I hope one day I can be a second wife and raise a child that was born by another woman. You know, that's just not a prayer we have. But that was God's dream for me. And clearly now, and part of why I've written this book, Uh, a little bit later in life, is just I'm able to look back now and see all of the things that God did through all those waiting periods when I I didn't want to be where I was. But I chose to trust Him that for some reason He was going to weave all that together in my life. And sometimes it's the pain that He's weaving in your life because you will meet that pain as your ministry to somebody else. That's what I've discovered, and and I think all of us have discovered, that we have a ministry in the hard things that we've been through, because when you're going through a hard time, you want to talk to somebody who's been through that hard time, too. And so as hard as it is and how much we don't want the stories that are unusual, you know, when I share my (laughs) testimony to college students, I always laugh because you know, when I say, and at 49, I got married, and you can just see the girls go to prayer. No, God, no, please, you know, because nobody dreams of that. But Lisa, my story is so beautiful and unique, and God has worked so many things in Jordan's life, my stepson, in Jerry's life, in our life, and our extended family, in other people that are step parents, in 
you know, all of the things that you get to see when you look back, if you trust them. Yeah. But it is, it, it is a choice because I think we are tempted to force our way. And certainly there's examples in scripture of that, yeah. of Sarah, who just couldn't wait any longer. And understandably, my gosh, you know, she was already so late in life. So they thought they were going to have their child through Hagar. And in fact, no, God still gave them that child. And so he's not bound by our timelines. He exists outside of time, but we, I think, feel that pressure, which causes us to, you know, sometimes make choices that aren't the best. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't work through those choices, and he always redeems. So if there's anyone listening who's made a bad choice, he always redeems. Hold on. But we can avoid a lot of that if we trust him, even when he's doing something we don't really want in our life. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you say pretty early on in the book, which I think is so encouraging, um, is the concept of time is never lost. And Mm. you actually juxtapose that. Really what you're talking about, which you go into in more detail in the book, is this idea that God uses interruptions in our lives. And sometimes Mm -hmm. he's the interrupter, quite frankly. And so um, (laughs) talk about, like, what does that look like? Like, if someone is... Give an example of a a good interruption in the sense of, you know, someone's trucking along. I mean, kind of the example I'm thinking of is like, you know, you you think you're heading in this career path. You're, you know, you've gotten all your degrees. You've paid a lot. You have school debt related to this. You, um, you know, and it's it's kind of like what I was saying earlier of like we're so told. Well, you need to go out. You better prepare. You better chart all your goals. You better ask for a raise. You got to take care of you. You know. But what if God has other plans? What What do these interruptions right. look like, and how can we recognize them? Well, honestly, I think a person to look at in the Bible that helps so much is Joseph in the Old Testament, not, not Mary Joseph, because we get to see ten chapters of his life. So we watch what led to the next thing in his life. And if you were to stop at any given moment in Joseph's life, you would have never guessed what would happen next. And so I always say that even if something looks really bad, like for Joseph, it was, you know, he had this dream of leadership and uh, he he was holding the rope that his dad gave him, parading around the house. And of course, at that point, he goes into slavery and then he's accused of rape. So he ends up in jail And he sits in jail for two years, and I'm sure that he thought, what in the world were all those dreams for? What was God even talking about? Now, we look back on his story, and so we know the end. But you just imagine Joseph living that story. And so if you're in a situation where it's not working out the way you thought, first of all, welcome to life, because I don't think any of us are living exactly what we thought we would, but also when you're in that place, it just might be the place you need to go before you get where you're going. Because when we look back on Joseph's story, and I know this is true in my own life, when you look back, you see how he learned some things that he needed to learn for his future. He needed some of that character building. He needed the challenges that he faced. Otherwise, he wouldn't have known how to do all that when he got where he was going. So you just can't slide right into exactly what you want because you won't be equipped for it. <laughs> I think that life you know, and God equips us through all of these situations that we maybe don't want to be in or didn't choose or that's not what we had in mind. But you look back 
and God did amazing things. And maybe a great example of that is Paul. And I talk about him in the New Testament. I mean, how how much time did Paul spend in prison when he wanted to be out visiting churches? And he looked around and said, okay, well, I can't be out visiting churches. I I can't be making the impact I thought I was going to make, so I guess I'll just sit here and write letters. And when you think about what the letters became that Paul wrote when he was where he didn't want to be, they're half the New Testament of the Bible that have reached millions of people that Paul couldn't have even thought about when he was in prison. So you have no idea if what you're going through right now is something God is going to use most powerfully in your life. And that's why we have to just acknowledge that we don't know what what we're living while we're living it. And it's really only the God of the rearview mirror, you know, when you look back, which is why you know, the older you get, the more you can write a book like this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Encourage people. Well, one of the other things I definitely want you to speak to here for, for a couple minutes, um, it always goes, our time always goes by so fast, but I definitely want you to hit this. Um, you yeah. know, you talk a lot about, you, you mentioned King David um, in Scripture in the Old Testament, and mm-hmm. basically, you know, it's it's one thing to just feel like God hasn't given you a good direction, but sometimes we ourselves, because of sin or because of, um, you know, ignorance or whatever, we actually make a wrong turn. And it might be something mm-hmm. where we're like, you know, okay, well, now I've turned my back on God or I've just gone my own way. I clearly felt God leading, but I decided to be like, peace out, God, I'm going to do this myself. Um, and mm-hmm. you you need to turn back. And so, you know, this might be someone who says, well, Lori, I became a Christian as an adult. What do I do with all those wasted years beforehand? Mm. Or, or maybe I wasted years in a toxic relationship, or maybe there's a pattern of addiction in my own life. Speak a little bit to wrong turns and God being able to redeem those. Well, I think David is such an example of that, because you almost can't make as wrong a turn as he did, because he kept just going down that path after one night with Bathsheba, and knowing that Bathsheba was the wife of one of his soldiers who was out fighting on his behalf, and then trying to get him home to sleep with his wife, and and he won't because he's too honorable, so then <laughs> David's faced again, and then he sends him to be on the front lines to be killed, and clearly this web that I think happens to us when we make bad decisions. And I always say that the most important decision is the one you make next, because there is never a time when it's too late to turn back. And David shows us that when Nathan comes to him and confronts him with everything he's done, he immediately says, I have sinned. And what that led to in David's life was Psalm 51, which is repeated in so many churches and has been throughout history as the psalm of confession, leading other people to confess their sin and to recognize that they want to be on a different path. And I don't think, even if you weren't a Christian and you did a bunch of things that you wish you hadn't done, I still think God can use those things. He loves us before we love Him. And so he knows your path, he knows everything you've done, and he will use everything in your life, either to teach you, to build your character, or even to use in other people's lives. Mm -hmm. So nothing is wasted with God, and it's never too late. And I hope everybody hears that, Lisa. Yeah. 
So kind of, I mean, that's such an encouraging word. And kind of, Lori, as we wrap up here, what for the young adult who's listening and is like, okay, Lori, you got to tell me this is not, I'm not used to living by faith. So what does, Mm -hmm. (laughs) give your best advice, what is living step by step with open hands on just on an average day look like? What would you recommend to the person listening who's just like, I need to know how to just start doing this even in baby steps? Absolutely. I mean, I give the illustration in the book that living by faith is a lot like repelling, if anyone's ever done that. And some people don't even do it because they can't. You, I mean, it's, they tell you to just throw yourself back. The rope will hold you. And you do not want to do that. You just cannot even imagine that that's going to be. But if you try to help the rope and not do it, you mess things up. So it's this idea of living by faith. And what it looks like, I think, is getting a good community. I have a whole chapter on that in the book, that you need a good community around you. And I know the Boundless community tries to be that for people. Um, But you need actual live people around you that are also walking with God so that they can encourage you, that you can go somewhere to talk to somebody about a decision that's ahead, about what you are struggling with, and they can give you good advice. And that takes some work to find that community, even if it's just one friend who can help. And I think we all need that. And then honestly, Lisa, I think it's trust builds trust. The more practice you have trusting God and realizing you don't know exactly how he's going to answer the prayer, and you don't know what he's going to do, you're going to approach your life more with open hands. Lord, this is what I want, but I'm giving it to you and I'm trusting you. And I'm going to go with what you answer me instead of what I want, which I think is definitely a a, a different way to have a relationship with God. Yeah, for sure. So, so true. Oh, my goodness. So. Well, awesome. I mean, this is so helpful for us as we process this and all the, I mean, you really unpacked a number of different scenarios uh, where this would play out, Mm -hmm. which are super helpful. Um, Folks, I want you to know that um, this uh, copy of Lori's book, we want to make available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So um, you're just going to go, if you go to boundless.org, you can search for 801. That's this week's episode. And uh, you'll see the book cover there. You just click on it. You know the drill. We do this for some of the books that we love. Um, Click on it. You give a gift, whatever you can afford to Boundless, and we want to make sure that this book gets into your hands so you can um, do that even today. And Lori, in the meantime, thank you so much for writing the book and for putting so many vulnerable anecdotes and and situations as well as speaking from Scripture throughout. Mm, And just a side note, Lisa, it There is a video study as well on Right Now Media and also on my website if people want to do this book in small groups, which I highly recommend. It's a great book for that. Wonderful. Well, we will make sure to link to that as well.
Well, folks, as we finish out the show, we always open up our inbox, which is answering one of your questions. And we love it when questions come in. And so many people think that Boundless, we only talk about like dating and stuff, but we don't. We're trying to help you navigate adulthood in a number of different spheres. And so today's question is awesome because it's about jobs. So who better to have talk about this and address this listener's question than the fabulous Marshonda Dixon. Marshonda, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. She is an HR professional and certainly a recruiting expert. And so um, y'all just need to listen because if she were were ever to have to hire you, she would know (laughs) the goods and what this is about. So Marshonda, here's what our listener is wondering. Um, They say, I'm currently struggling in my first job out of college. What tips would you give to someone who's starting off in their career? Okay, that's a great question. You know, the beginning of of your career um, can be a flood of emotions. You feel everything from excitement to pressure to perform, uh, the fear of the unknown, um, all of those things just kind of wadded up into one ball. And it can feel like this wild roller coaster ride where you're just kind of hanging on and hoping that you land in the right place. But, you know, there's a lot that you can do to help to ground yourself and to help you feel like you're confident and more in control of the situation. And it starts with planning and establishing incremental goals along the way. So I have seven tips that I want to share with this uh, asker, and um, I'll just jump right in. You know, I would suggest first starting with the idea of learning the ropes of your organization. Be willing to soak up as much information as possible. Set day-to-day big-picture expectations with your boss and take good notes. Ask lots of questions. I think it's important in our culture of technology to use an actual pen and paper approach. It sends the message that you're present and that you're willing to learn as opposed to risking the appearance of being disinterested or distracted while you're taking notes on a smartphone or a tablet or notebook. So that's number one. Number two, I would focus on learning and understanding your company's culture and structure. What is the company passionate about? What are its values and beliefs? And how does the company live out its culture in its day-to-day operations? Be thinking about how you, as the new employee, fit in and add to the culture. In the same vein, I recommend prioritizing active time for upskilling, on-the-job opportunities, and informational interviews. Ask your employer about discretionary budget for learning events, and just know that this educational investment is a win-win for both you and for your employer. Uh, Number three, I would get to know your leaders and teammates. Find out what their strengths are. Where do your work and social skills fit into the team? Focus on building healthy work relationships and allow yourself to be mentored in your new environment. Listen and learn is the mantra to remember here. One of my favorite tips is to be willing to bond outside of the office. Don't be afraid to ask your new teammates to go out to lunch or to go grab a cup of coffee. It's a great way to learn more about the organization and bond with your coworkers, especially when you first start out in your career, and that feels really intimidating to try and get to know a new group of people. Number four, I would request feedback and act on it. And it's really important that you hear the second piece of that is that you act on the feedback that's given to you. Don't wait for the annual review cycle. Be willing to ask questions that put you in a position to positively affect your work performance outcomes. Be willing to ask the tough questions. What areas of my job performance need more attention? How can I add more value to our team? And from your point of view, 
What are my strong suits and where are my top two areas for growth? Be willing to listen. Again, take notes and act on the feedback that's given to you. Tip number five is to resist the pull to engage in destructive behaviors such as gossip, complaining, and negative attitudes. As time goes on and the initial shine has worn away, you will no doubt start to see the areas of opportunity in the workplace culture. Remember that people are people no matter where you go and that you need to keep an open mind and extend grace and see others as children of God and treat them accordingly even if they forget or have no knowledge that they are God's children. Tip number six, I would take initiative. Be willing to respectfully offer suggestions or solutions to workplace problems. Show yourself capable and willing to take on greater responsibility in your work area. Maintain a good work ethic. You know, management praises those who work honestly, truthfully, and professionally. That is also the expectation of our creator that we do those things. At the end of the day, these are the employees that, that management looks at and they reward them accordingly. And last, but certainly not least, make sure you have a good work-life balance. Life is not all work. Make sure that whatever you do, wherever you are, whether it's in your dream job or your stepping stone to your dream job, always enjoy what you're doing and give yourself a break. Psalms 127.2 states, it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to those he loves. Mm. So we really need to keep that point in mind that do all things right to God's glory, but also to remember that um, God expects us to have some balance in our life when yeah. it comes to work. Such a such a great thought. I was even thinking as you were saying that, and those of you listening, I mean, don't be afraid to just like rewind this and be like, okay, I didn't catch this one. I need to write this one down because these are probably great for you to review over and over again. But um, just the thought of too, I think so many young adults, especially those starting out in their careers, think that they have to map the whole thing out right away. And it can freak people out. And there's a lot of pressure in that. You don't know where God may take you on a detour, or you might discover something in your um, point six where you said, you know, take initiative, try something new. If they're volunteer for something that maybe is outside your job description, you may discover something that you're amazing at and that you love and is really in your wheelhouse. And so um, I think, you know, Marshanda, those are such great tips just to kind of lend some like, ah, take a deep breath. There are a lot of things you can be doing right where you are. You know, you don't, you're not going to like just be out of college and all of a sudden you're Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or whatever. I mean, give yourself space to grow. And so I, I just think that's really wise. Thank you so much for Absolutely. weighing in on that. Well, folks, uh, we are at the end of our show. We are so glad that you've been with us today, and we always appreciate you hanging in there. I do want to remind you that if you have a question for us to answer in the future, you can write to us at editor at boundless.org and just put your question out there. We might use it on the show in the future, and it might be something that someone else has wanted to ask as well, so that could be really helpful for you. Um, you can also go to boundless.org and search uh, for a question. It might be something that we've answered in the past. So in the meantime, I will plan on seeing you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. 
Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.